Welcome to a Better Divorce podcast where we have conversations about the emotional, financial, and legal issues that are on your mind or should be on your radar if your goal is to keep your divorce out of court. I'm collaborative divorce attorney and mediator Andrea Vaca, and I know that how you divorce matters to your long-term well-being. That's why it's my mission to help you have a better divorce with as little acrimony as possible so that you can create the best life possible on the other side of your marriage. Hello, everyone. This is Andrea Vaca, and I'm happy to welcome Lou Sukoni to a Better Divorce podcast today. Lou is a certified public accountant, a CPA, and a highly respected business valuation expert here in New York. He's the senior managing director of the firm Brisbane Consulting Group, where he's in charge of business valuations, forensic accounting, and litigation support. And Lou's been working with divorcing clients and their attorneys and mediators for over 30 years. We've been in this world for the same amount of time. So I wanted to have Lou on today, the, uh, to have Lou on the Better Divorce podcast today to discuss how forensic accountants can help bring clarity and, um, and help couples come to an, an agreement when they're divorcing when they don't want to litigate and they want to use out-of-court processes because many of us think about forensic accounting as something you do in court and it's it's very important and helpful to help couples come to agreements outside of court. So Lou, welcome to a Better Divorce podcast. I'm really help, happy that you could join me today. Thank you, Andrea. Pleasure to be with you. So Lou, when a business is owned by one or both parties in a divorce, it's so important to not only understand the value of the business, but what type of personal income has been generated historically, as well as what can be expected looking forward, right? I mean, Correct. Two major things we're doing. So what I wanted to talk about today is what, for anyone who is considering a divorce or in the middle of a divorce where a business is involved, what should they be thinking about? And, and about why and when and how a business valuation can be used to help bring that clarity needed so that decisions can be made and, and agreements can be signed and couples can move on with their lives. Sure. So I'm hoping that this conversation will help provide that clarity today. Sure. Well, for, of course, as you know, for any divorcing couple, you need to identify all the assets uh, of the marriage uh, that we what we call the assets of the marital estate. Uh, once you've identified those assets, then you need to value those assets. And uh, uh, unlike stock, a stock portfolio, uh, which you can just look up on your account and see what your stock portfolio is worth at any given time, a closely held business uh, doesn't have that readily apparent value. It needs to uh, be looked at uh, by a valuation professional to assign a value as of a particular point in time. And probably one of the things that parties should realize is that valuation is done as of a specific date. Uh, and, uh, you know, that valuation, and that's probably an important topic first for parties to understand is you know, what will that specific date be? In, in litigation, it's generally the date of commencement of the matrimonial action, but in a matrimonial uh, or in a, medi in a mediation, we don't have uh, a date of commencement typically. Right. Uh, so the parties are able to agree upon a valuation date. 
Yeah, that's really a, a, a great thing about mediation or in collaborative. You get to choose the date when you want to value assets. It's also a challenge because some people might have different opinions as to when that is. Should it have been a day in the past? Is it today when we start the, the process or is it a day in the future? But once we have that agreement and you need that, clearly you need that for what the work that you're going to do. What is the value? Um, what is the date that we're using to value this business? Correct. Correct. And, and one of the things that, uh, again, that is, has, had made, has, has made things somewhat complicated has been the pandemic, uh, which has affected some businesses very negatively uh, and other businesses positively. Uh, so that's also an issue that parties have to think about when setting the valuation date. So that's probably one of those aspects that they need to think about, about uh, setting the valuation date. Second is what kind of documents will the forensic accountant business appraiser need to value the business? And as a starting point, it's always at least five years of the past business tax returns. Uh, so that's something that uh, the, uh, uh, the the appraiser will need to see uh, to determine what the you know financial condition of the business is and its earning capacity. So uh, as a starting point, uh, tax returns or financial statements, some businesses have um, a CPA reviewed or audited financial statements. Uh, those are also something that the appraiser would need to see along with uh, there might be fixed asset schedules, schedules of equipment and accounts receivable. And again, depending on the type of business will dictate what type of documents are needed. Right. So often I'll have clients with, very, with relatively small, smaller businesses and they'll say, well, this is what's in my bank account. And I have to explain that that's not the only asset that you have. You know, there's many parts to to the work that you do and it's not just the, the cash on hand so probably probably one of the biggest things andrea that you know, people struggle with is you know they like you just said there there's a business that has cash it might have accounts receivable it might have some bank debt uh, but really what our uh, objective is is what is the goodwill value of that business worth what's the reputation worth what's the trained workforce, maybe the recipes, procedures. That's really all this intangible value that's not on the tax return. Uh, that's not recorded as an asset on the tax return. And that's really what we're looking at is, is there any value above and beyond those assets? Right. That's easy to see. Right. Mm -hmm. those are, that's why we need you to do your forensic work. So right. be before we talk a, um, a little bit more about the work that you're doing. Like, can we, I'd like to understand what you see as the benefit of working with a neutral uh, forensic accountant versus each part of the couple hiring their own experts to do this work and then kind of argue about what the value is. Because in, in, in court, in litigation, that's what people, anyone listening to this, that's what you should expect. Um, there, you know, you might get the court might apply, um, appoint someone like Lou, but if you don't agree with that, then you can each hire your own and, and, and it's a battle from there. So Lou, when you're working with a couple in mediation um, or, or collaborative, um, what's, you know, what's the benefit 
that you see of, of starting in this neutral capacity where the clients choose you versus that battle of the experts? The, the first benefit is, you know, an obvious one, and that's the cost savings. Uh, when the uh, when a neutral, I'm appointed as a neutral, um, I'm discussing with the parties and their attorneys, if it's collaborative, exactly what the scope of my services will be, as opposed to litigation, when we're court appointed in a litigated matter, um, we often don't have that choice, that luxury of discussing how much or how little we're going to do, that, what we call the scope of our services, the, the amount of due diligence that we perform in arriving at our valuation. Uh, so I think the biggest advantage is cost savings. And secondly, it's that uh, you are getting a neutral, objective, middle-of-the-road valuation uh, with this business appraiser that is not working on behalf of either spouse. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I have to tell you, as, as a business appraiser, you know, there are, it's a subjective process. And we have some latitude to, you know, we can advance our position, but it can be slightly left or right of the middle uh, without being um, unobjective, without being uh, running afoul of our business valuation standards. Uh, but with a neutral, you're fairly confident that the conclusion is as objective as it possibly can be. So just, you know, what, what I, how I've helped my clients find people like you is we, when we identify that there's been a, when we see that there's a business to be appraised that has to be valued, um, if then we, we will recommend that they reach out to somebody like you. Um, and, and at that point, like, what is the next thing that they should, that someone would expect after they say, okay, let's work with Lou. We want him to appraise our business. So what would happen after that? Well, they would, we, we always issue a, uh, an engagement letter, a retainer agreement that spells out um, the engagement and businesses that are to be valued, um, usually the size of the ownership interest and the valuation date. Uh, so those are the things that we're trying to get that information ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And then that will accompany a, document request list. So it will include uh, the tax returns, as I mentioned, financial statements, and other operating documents, whether they be shareholder agreements, uh, operating agreements, lease agreements, um, after you know, knowledge of what type of business we're valuing, uh, that, could, that would be specific uh, to the particular business. So there'd be a, a, a maybe a list of 15 to 30 items of what we would be requesting, all financial in nature, some of it qualitative type information, who are the owners, what do they do, what are their titles, all that type of thing. But that that would be the initial phase and we would issue that request and typically we would not be doing a lot of work until uh, that those requests are, are responded to in some way. Some of the documents there may not be available, but for the most part, we don't start our work until we get a full response from the business owner 
as to the documents we're requesting. Right. And then you mentioned like you get the, the you, you know, I, I believe you said if, if um, in mediation or collaborative, the, the clients can tell you the extent of which, how much they want you to go into this. I don't know if you told me that when I was talking to you before this or if you mentioned right. it today, but um, we, so how do clients know? How do clients know what, what level of evaluation you should be doing or they should be asking you to do? How do you, how do you talk to the couple about that, the clients about so, that? Yeah, so they, it, it's important for the clients to understand that we, we offer a menu of services that starts with, uh, for example, a preliminary estimate of value all the way to what we'll call a court uh, trial-ready report and analysis. Um, and I always uh, suggest to the clients and the attorneys and collaborative, you know, start off with the preliminary estimate uh, and work up from there, mm -hmm. right? So we, we look at it as in a phase approach. Phase one, it's gathering the information, looking at the documents, and maybe developing, from my standpoint, a preliminary estimate of value. We sit down, we talk to them, what did we do? What did what did we not do? And this is where we're coming from, you know, a range of between X and Y. And in many of the cases in mediation, the parties are able to work with that. They look at that and say, you know what, that's good enough. That's what I was thinking. That's that's what I had in mind. That you know might be consistent with some preconceived notion. In other cases, it may be far far removed from what was originally anticipated, or there might be um, the, the suspicions of uh, income not being properly reported. In, that, in those cases, uh, the spouses may request another level. We need you to increase the level of due diligence. We want the accountant to go in and look at some of the books and records. Sometimes we do some testing of various expenses, some audit procedures, if you will, okay. to make sure that the expenses are reasonably stated, that the income is reasonably stated. Uh, we, we can never guarantee it's free of all errors or fraud, but we can give some level of assurance that we've done. So that would be that additional step to perform those procedures to give the spouses some level of uh, confidence that uh, that the income is accurately stated. Right, the value and the income. Right. Mm -hmm. So you start, you know, the the least amount of in, um, intrusiveness, I guess. Um, right. But if if that'll work, that's all you need to do. You don't need to dig in and have give right. them something that they could bring to court and and have mm -hmm. you testify to. That's very expensive to do that type of work in detail. And most clients who are in the mediation or collaborative process, in my experience, and I, I guess in yours, don't really need that. Um, but it's available if, if they do. So Correct. what I what happens a lot is that I've seen, you know, people go about their lives. They have these businesses during the marriage. The, the business might pay for domestic services. They might pay for childcare. Might pay for you know their cars, of course vacations, meals, lots of things can be written off through a small business. And that was just how the they live their life. And it's a great benefit when you if you own a business that can, can pay for some personal things um, that they can legally write off. 
nothing, you know, maybe they're not doing anything illegal, but it might be on the line sometimes. But then now they're divorcing. One person's going to keep the business. One person will not be getting the benefits of this business in their day-to-day -day life. So how do you help determine um, what personal income has been generated by the business that in paying for the personal expenses so that the spouse who doesn't have the business in their name can feel secure that the you know all the income is being um, properly categorized and, and known that 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 might require you know that goes in line with the valuation Andrea so um, you know by definition uh, when we're looking at valuation typically we're looking at it from an income approach and you are not able to arrive at a uh, reliable indication of value unless you have uh, the proper income. So if there are those personal expenses, and a lot of times both spouses are fully aware that these personal expenses exist, they need to be quantified, not only for valuation purposes, but for support purposes. Child support, spousal so, support. Correct. So that, might, you know, for in those instances, the evaluator, the accountant, may have to do those procedures to identify what they are. For example, you see auto expenses for a business that doesn't use autos in its business, doesn't do delivery or anything like that. You know that there's auto expenses that might be benefiting the owners. Uh, meals and entertainment. Um, a lot of times we see things buried in um, continuing education okay, for a business that doesn't have continuing education requirements. Okay. So that might be travel and it might just even be booked to travel. So those in those situations, uh, if the parties can't identify them and quantify them and agree on that in mediation or collaborative, I may have to go in and look at the books and records and quantify them, especially if it's material. In many cases, you know, a cell phone for one of the children doesn't mean a whole lot right. okay, in the grants and wouldn't be worth me looking at telephone expense. But in, in those cases where there are where it's significant and it could increase value, certainly uh, be a determinant for income for support purposes, then that work might might have to be done. Right. So there when when you you're brought in generally in the beginning of of a of a of the of the matter starting right but yes. how soon should you be retained like to start doing this work when when is the right time for the mediator or for collaborative you know attorneys to say okay you know we think this is we need to bring you in and when should clients be thinking about um we need somebody to help value the business is it before they start is it Soon after, what's a good timing for this? I, I, I always say the earlier the better. And so the, the mediator, or you may have a, media, a meeting in collaborative law first with the parties where the mediator and the attorneys are just learning what the assets are. You know, are, are there valuation issues? Uh, and then in the very next meeting, um, you know, you're, you need to have them uh, you know, meet one of the, you know, the one that you're recommending so that he can explain or she can explain what needs to be done. Now, sometimes you look at a business and 
uh, and attorneys don't always know this. Um, there might be a business where it's really not a business. It might be a hobby or it might be just uh, a, um, one of the spouses serving as an independent contractor uh, as opposed to being an employee. But he files a business type return like a Schedule C or he sets himself up as a single member LLC. Even in that situation, it's worth having a forensic accountant look it over, advise the parties, here's what it is, it's really not a business, what constitutes a business, et cetera. So in those situations, I think the earlier the better. And then secondly, to get the discovery process moving, uh, the, you know, the production of documents, because that takes the most time. Right. Yeah, so, and like you said, the five years of tax returns, that might be easy to get, but all those other documents, especially if there are partners in the business, you know, correct. not just the owner who's going through a divorce, there might be other people too. What about the non-titled spouse? So the, the spouse who doesn't own the business, never worked in the business, isn't quite sure what's been going on, thinks it's been providing for a very nice lifestyle, but is doesn't really know anything. So would you do they get a chance to sit down with you one on one? Can you do you help them understand the business in or do they always have to be meeting with you with the other with their spouse, you know? You know, as 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 a neutral, first of all, I always the 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 um I'll call it the rules of the engagement or the parameters of the engagement always set by the parties. I always recommend that if I'm if I'm interviewing the business owner, um, that the non-business owner should be there to listen. Um, but if the non-business owner has questions, wants to speak to me offline, so to speak, I'm always willing to do whatever makes both parties comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, so often the business owner will, will be fine with me speaking to um, his or her uh, spouse to discuss matters that they might need clarification on. Uh, in many cases, the non-business owner's attorney is always free to call me with questions after the preliminary estimate of value is right. You know, when we're dealing in a mediation and it's just um, the mediator, me, and the two parties, they might we might be presenting some valuation calculations they might take them home and have some questions. They might review them with their lawyer. Again, you know, the process is all about them educating, getting educated on the financial issues, feeling comfortable making decisions. And if they're not allowed, you know, they, they need to be allowed to have access to me to ask any questions, you know, when they need to. Right. It's just such a better outcome for um for couples and who are ending their marriages to be able to come to a decision and agreement on a value like this um rather than have it foisted upon them by you know a judge saying i believe you're expert over that expert so it's a, it's a great opportunity to really understand and and maybe never have they never had an understanding before and now they can really understand what the business is and how it generates income um and then you know, having you have, you know, facilitate that conversation is just provides clarity, more security. We can put that, we can set that set that, um, 
value here and then move on to all the other you know issues and then how are we going to distribute that value that's a whole other issue that i know right. you work with by once we have all the assets determined what the values are then you can help us figure out how everything gets distributed you know how will we get a buyout or a payout or you know it's not like you're getting for anyone listening to this you're not getting 30% of the business, you know, you're, you're going to, you're not going to become an owner probably, but you're going right. to get some, some payout somehow. Um, and, and that's a, that's a, you know, a lot of creative uh, account, you know, you need to be creative. I, I think in that, is there anything you'd want to say about that part of the process? Sure. I mean, there's, you know, I look at mediation collaborative as well as more of an educational process as opposed to a legal process. Uh, you know, and I'd much rather be educated than have anything to do with legal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm, you know, so the, they're, they're involved in learning about, you know, value, financial issues. And when it comes to distributing these assets, there's also, there could be some tax issues. Uh, and, and those have to be understood and recognized. Uh, just in a mediation conference today, um, the wife was asking, well, if I get all this, do I have to pay taxes on it? Uh, so there's always a concern about that. And uh, as you know, Andrea, you know, we, in the business, we call it asset swapping. So when we're trying to, you know, the business owner will stay or the business will stay with the business owner, the non-business owner may get something else. Mm -hmm. And there may be tax issues associated with one asset and tax issue and no tax issues with another. We see that with retirement assets. Retirement assets are pre-tax. When they come out, they will be taxed. As opposed to, uh, if a house is sold, there may not be any tax. Or they may so, <laughs> may, not, may not be. So those issues have to be understood and and at least mapped out in arriving at the at, at a final settlement. Right, right. And you know, it's so easy if if you have. All the investment accounts can be divided equally and then the cash can be divided and the house is equally divided and but when you start to have assets that aren't all equal or can't be equal easily divided in kind um you know then we need to do that swap out and, and having someone like you available to figure out the tax implications is invaluable because your attorneys cannot do it we are not tax professionals we do not do this work if your attorney says they can, don't believe them. You need to bring in a financial professional. So, um, so the last question I have for you, Lou, is a um, question I'm asking all my guests, which is, what is one tip you can offer to help a couple ensure a better divorce? I think that uh, one of the things I always try to remind um, clients is that there's the law, which is important to know and understand. And there's uh, looking across the table at your soon-to-be ex-spouse and saying, what's fair? What, what can I live with? Um, you know, many, many spouses think it, you know, it's 50-50, um, but I think it's knowing when to take 20% uh, and, and knowing when to uh, ask for 80%. So I really think that just, you know, having that flexibility coming into the mediation 
of, you know, I want to be fair, I want to be reasonable, and I want to try to put everything else aside to accomplish this task of understanding the numbers and trying to divide the assets in a way that may not be necessarily reflect what would be done in litigation because we don't know what would be done in litigation. That's a big unknown. Your biggest advantage in this case for clients is that you control the outcome, not some judge that really isn't emotionally involved. That's right. So, so the tip is, you know, put aside what the court might do, what the law might say, understand what it is, but do what feels fair to the two of you so that you come to an agreement that you create and you can move on with your lives. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining me today. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Uh, right at our website is www.brizcon.com. That's B-R-I-S-C-O-N.com. It has me and all of my partners and our other professionals and our team. Uh, and you can get a hold of us anywhere through that website. Okay, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. This is Andrea Vaca with Lucy Coney for a Better Divorce podcast. You've been tuning in to another episode of a Better Divorce podcast with Andrea Vaca. Thank you for subscribing, leaving your positive comments and reviews, and sharing the show with others. You can watch episodes at vacalaw.com, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can listen through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Bye for now. And remember, you can have a better divorce.